Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can message your counselor anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and never wait in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. And as a special offer for Unseen listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Unseen. That's BetterHelp.com Unseen. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com. Long Story Short Productions presents Unseen Valentine's Day Special How Dudley Took the Plunge by David K. Barnes You know, I'll say this for myself. There's very few of us out there who have made their fortune, lost it, and then won it again. Very few indeed. And I am one of said few. Now, I know what you're thinking. How did this handsome harpy with a spring in his wing and a song in his heart make a bundle, lose it, and then make it again? Well, it may be hard to believe, and yet believe is the very thing you must do. How did the elusive Mr. Dudley J. Carmichael, that's, uh, that's yours truly, by the by, pull off such a feat? Well, I'll, ah, uh, say when. Well, I'm going to tell you it can be done, and even better, I'm going to tell you how I did it. Never mind what anyone else says, I'm... Hmm. Did I mix this properly? Oh well, we'll soon know. Strawberry, syrup, just a squidgen of rum, but not too much. I call it a Parsons alibi. Very weak. (laughs) Ha! No little umbrellas, I'm afraid, but I suppose one can't have it all in life. Cheers. God, that's dreadful. Top up? Anyways, fortunes. Damn slippery things, aren't they? One moment they're there, the next they've traipsed off to who knows where, and you're left wondering how you're going to charm your way out of the restaurant bill that's approaching rather bullet-like. 
but what's lost can be recovered. Bring your drink. Follow me, and I'll weave the proceedings into a complete narrative for you. And it's going to have it all. Machinations, misunderstandings, even the odd bits of daring do. Between you and me, the tale's a corker. Though, sadly, it does take place in England. So, how does a fellow make a fortune in the first place? To be honest, that bit's dead easy. Just get born into a family that happens to be stinking rich. Simple enough, really. No effort required at all. Of course, it's thought to be a little vulgar nowadays, but back in England, everyone's at it. Well, well, not everyone. Hmm, probably not many people when you come to think of it. <coughs> Still, it's a bloody good wheeze if you're lucky. Which I was, for a while. Dudley Carmichael, the talk of the town, garden parties and champers and dancing noon till night and back again. Lovely girls and even lovelier chaps, all bursting with wit and vim, like yours truly. No one even minded my superannuated lingo. They all insisted it was part of my charm. Ah, it's, it's just the way I was brought up, you see. It may be the 21st century for everyone else, but when you come from a harpy clan as old as mine, then one century has a way of feeling and talking very much like another. It was a year ago, next Thursday, and I was driving towards what promised to be another bacchanalic knees-up. Old Binky Smidgen had sent me a buzz on one of the party finder apps. He said a gang of the chaps were spending a week at Marbury House up in the Cotswolds. One of the swankiest countryside hotels known to man, goblin, harpy and all, offering luxury to pop the monocle of even the most die-hard ascetic. It's England's very own Xanadu, if you've seen the musical. From there, said Binky, we'd decamp throughout the week after betting on the GGs at Cheltenham. Oh, well, that's the horses to you and me. It had seemed rather early for Cheltenham. <laughs> but Binky's always been a man of scrupulous integrity. If you can think of a scruple, he's got it. But a second glance at the calendar might have given me pause. My sixth sense may have twigged impending doom, for you see, the week ahead was due to end with the 14th of Feb, Valentine's Day. I'd rolled into Marbury a few hours before lunch, so I nabbed my room and went looking for old Smidgen. He said he'd meet me in the lobby, but the fellow was nowhere to be seen and he wasn't returning my calls. I was on the verge of miffed, with a touch of irk, when suddenly... <laughs> smidgen. Meet me in the Virulin suite, you know the way. I did indeed. I found the suite using only my memory and a set of directions from the concierge. I was readying my most dazzling smile for the imminent rendezvous when who should I see coming toward me from the opposite direction but Sibella Brand. Now, Sibella was, and 
to her credit, still is, the daughter of the shipping magnate, Sir Putney Brand. She's an absolute knockout in many respects, but her father had tempestuous mood swings, and for all I knew, so did she. Humans are like that, you know. Very unpredictable. She saw me and smiled a smile that suggested a certain something should stay a certain secret. Suspicious. Hey, Dudley, she purred. It's nice to see you again. Hello, old fruit, I said. Can't talk now. The game's afoot. But you know what she did? She came closer, leaned forward, and tickled my wrist. Bold as you like, a flick of the digit right along the radio carpal. I say, I said. What brought that on? But she just flashed another grin to baffle the brightest of Bletchley Park and left the premises. Odd, I thought. But then she was a woman, a human and rich, so who's to say what odd really means? I shook my head ruefully, for my own benefit, pulled upon the doors of the Vera Lynn suite and walked on in to greet Binky. Smidgen, you old son of a so-and-so, bash open a bottle of bubbly and let's raise a glass or four, I declared with my trademark chic. But a second later, my mouth had gone as dry as a chameleon's clavicle. Before me sat not Binky Smidgen, but an aged being of limitless power, of infinite majesty, whose imperium reaches in all directions across this blessed plot of England. It was, in short, my grandmother Winifred. (laughs) Granny Winnie, I call her, though never to her face, or behind her back for that matter. Eyes and ears everywhere, that one. And you didn't want to get on her bad side. She could stun a dragon at twenty paces with a cock of the eyebrow and a well-placed tut. I saw her do it last Christmas. Why? Hello? Grandmama? I stammered, smoothly. Lovely day, isn't it? Are, 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 you ha- are you having... In return, she peered at me over the top of her spectacles and scowled in a way that would keep my therapist busy for another twelve years. I recall her pulling the same expression upon our very first meeting, when I was already a fully grown lad at the mature age of six and a quarter. To be fair to the old girl, she never asked to be burdened with me, and it was only loyalty to our clan that had stopped her from turning me out and setting the dogs on my tail. We harpies are very big on family ties. Very big indeed. Sadly, the ties between me and my parents had been severed somewhat suddenly when they'd been eaten by a leopard. I won't go into it now and I won't go back to the zoo where it happened. I'd known from a single nod of resignation that I'd been taken into my grandmother's charge. To be raised as a member of the Carmichael clan ought to be at a distance and at great expense. Good morning, Dudley, she said, snapping my brain back into the present. Likewise, I replied. Fervently. Is there, is there anything I might do for you, Grandmama? Only I've a chum lurking somewhere, and I ought to let him know I've been detained. Granny Winnie sighed. If you're referring to Mr. Smidgen, then I do not regret to inform you that he isn't here, and nor will he be. I soon learnt that Binky had turned Judas, luring me out here on Granny's behalf with the promise of betting a few quid on the horses. I couldn't blame him, really. A request from Granny was like an order from Attila the Hun. Well, you better comply, you'll find yourself a few limbs short of a full set. 
except Attila at least had the good grace to use a sword, whereas my grandmother deploys her team of lawyers. But why had I been so circuitously summoned to the Marbury this week? Dudley, let us not mince words, my grandmother began. You are, and always have been, a disappointment to me and the family. Fair enough, I replied. It is not, she snapped. You seem entirely incapable of making something of yourself, and so I've decided it's time for you to marry a woman who can make something of herself instead. My blood chilled. My wings bristled, so this was it, a marriage plot. Harpy clans are mad about them. It's all politics, naturally. The course of true love never gets a look in. I thought it best to play for time and pretend I didn't know what she was talking about, which was easy because I didn't. Married, grandmother? I said. Yes, Dudley. It hasn't been easy to locate a willing subject where you're concerned, but I'm relieved to announce that you will marry Sibella Brand. Of course. That explains Sibella's strained behavior in the corridor outside. My grandmother must have discussed the matter already with her and her father. It was a pity to be the sort of chap who's the last to know about his own wedding, but evidently that's the sort of chap I am. I sputtered impotently, and Granny raised her voice. Dudley! Her family is one of the few in this country to rival ours for influence. They may be human, she said, wincing slightly, but they see through the call, and rather more than you can. Ouch. It was a sore point, that. I'm no great shakes in the magic department. But more on that shortly. (laughs) Granny Winnie was winding up for the pitch. It's all been decided. You have only to ask for Sibella's hand and she will accept. She leant forward and fixed me with a glare that turned my legs to jellied eels. Do not foul this up, Dudley. And with that, she banished me from her presence until the deed was done. Outside the Vera Lynn suite, I gazed bleakly into the black pool of eternity, or at least into a small potted plant near the telephone. I resented this intrusion into my private life, but I very much did not resent the Carmichael cash that kept said private life thundered. And I was as sure as sure could be that Granny Winnie would cut me off without a penny were I to disobey. I knew which way my bread was buttered. And unless I wanted margarine, I'd have to vote with my brain and tell my heart to put a sock in it. I wrestled with the issue for several days, taking no small steps or giant leaps the Carmichael kind, and avoiding Granny Winnie as if my life depended on it, which I rather thought it might. I'd taken to lounging outdoors by the swimming pool where I could cogitate and run up a sizable tab at the bar. The ambiance was smooth and balmy, not like February at all. No doubt a magician on staff was keeping the air warmed up and a colleague had tipped a wink to the water too. Persuasion at its finest, all part of the service at the Marbury. 
and yet here I was in the doldrums and unable to enjoy it. Valentine's Day was upon me. The stars had aligned in my disfavour. Having failed to act already, my gallant proposal would surely be expected today. At a pinch, Sibella and my grandmother may have thought I'd waited till now deliberately for maximum romantic atmos. My roving eyes were drawn to two individuals in the swimming pool. One was a lady who, though perfectly pleasant, has no part to play in this narrative, so I'll withhold editorial comment. But the fellow into whose arms she had tumbled... <sighs> well now... This was Jean Rouvray, swimming instructor to the magically inclined, and a ruddy good one too. Not a bad racket, that. The lady was one of six people of varying sexes he happened to be teaching that morning. All wealthy, all willing, all head over heels in love with him. He was that kind of man. Dark eyes, dazzling smile, toned physique, all that rot. Makes one happy to be alive. Oh, yes, I wasn't immune to his charms. We'd met during my last visit, which had ended with six bottles of claret, and a wager as to which one of us would be better at singing La Marseillaise backwards in another accent. It was me, Beljean. Name a stronger foundation for a friendship, and I'll gladly call you a liar. Renewing our acquaintance this week was a welcome respite, and dash it, he really was a handsome cove. I was wrenched from my reverie by the approach of my intended fiancée, Sibella. Dudley, there you are, she called and walked towards me at speed like a missile in Louboutin. Thinking quickly, I pretended to be asleep, but I was already pouring a vodka tonic when it happened, so I ended up flooding my trousers. I passed this off as the result of vigorous splashing from one of the lesser children, but Sibella wasn't interested. I just read your note, she said. I'd written nothing since I arrived. Something was amiss. Oh, yes, I replied mechanically. Shall we say seven? Yes, if you like, I said, wondering why we'd be saying it and in what context. You are very lucky, you know, she continued. Daddy is taking us away tomorrow morning, so you very nearly missed your chance. She paused with what I could only assume was significance. I'm very glad you didn't, she concluded. Well, gosh, so am I, I replied gamely. She laughed and turned away, calling, See you at dinner. I blinked. Perhaps twice, and brooded on our exchange for the best part of an hour, in a state of abject distraction. A notification even popped up on my calendar. Hmm. Important dinner. Participant Sibella Brand. Dudley Carmichael. Clearly frustrated at my lack of progress... Granny Winnie, like any Machiavellian matriarch worth their salt, had taken matters into her own hands and dispatched a dinner invitation in my name. 
events had overtaken me. I now faced a stark choice. Get hitched or get out. Bye-bye family and fortune unless I closed my eyes and said, I do. No. No, there had to be another way. I may not be the brightest bulb in the boudoir, but a safe route had to exist between Caribdis and... the other one, and I wouldn't let it go without a fight. I vacated my deck chair, renewed with purpose. As I did so, I saw Jean looking at me curiously from the pool. His attention was soon drawn by a dowager needing help with the backstroke, but I could have sworn he had been frowning at me as if aware of my fate, but powerless to prevent it. If ever I'd needed courage, the sight of that man had done the trick. It was time to determine my future. The only question was... How? I retired to my room to give the problem due consideration. The issue required tact and finesse, and I hadn't been blessed with either. But to say nothing would be like baking a pie with a landmine in it, bound to blow up in my face. I couldn't refuse my grandmother's wishes, and I couldn't flee the hotel. If I tried, she'd only have to pull a few strings to entangle me again. And then there was Sibella herself to consider. I'm not so much of a cad that I can't appreciate the pain of a person's heartbreak. She was dead keen on the whole idea, and to let her down would be a rum thing to do. If only there was... Ha! But wait. The old light bulb was blazing above my head at last. Sibella was leaving Marbury in the morning with her father, by which time it'd be too late to pop the question, so all I required was a reason why the proposal couldn't take place this evening. Called away on business? No, no, they know I don't have any. Illness? Mm, that had only encouraged love's tender fire, the whole Florence Nightingale routine holding my hand, sighing softly. Let me care for you, Dudley, forevermore. Ugh. Precisely the opposite sort of atmos I wanted to create. Atmosphere. That's it. I had to extinguish the flames of romance altogether. Ruin the evening to such an extent that even Tristan and Isolde would have said, oh, let's pack it in for a lost cause. And I had to do it secretly. No one could suspect the hand of Dudley Carmichael, which meant I'd have to employ... Magic. Oh, corks. I alluded earlier to a certain deficiency in that area, and that's putting it mildly. I may be the youngest in a family of prominent harpies, but to their shame, I've yet to inherit the flair for the sorcerer's arts, being nothing but a spectator in their use. I once had an uncle who could iron shirts merely by passing his hand over them. Are you watching closely, he'd say to me, and then whoosh! Not a wrinkle to be seen. An amazing feat. He should have been a dry cleaner. Instead, he was a bigamist. What a waste. The point is, my knack for magic was rudimentary at best. 
My grandmother even had me dispatched to the Alethea Academy, but a diploma remained somewhat elusive. I flunked out with nothing to offer except an awkward smile and the words, No man is an island, grandmother. She agreed, but exiled me to the Outer Hebrides just to be certain. That was a very long year. But perhaps, thought I in the present, sat alone in my hotel room, I'd had neither the will nor the inclination to flex the magic muscles before. It hadn't seemed important at the time, but today... I faced a fork in the road of destiny. Sibella Brand on one side, penury on the other, but also a short hop over the fence to freedom, if only I could find it. It was worth a try. I ordered a tray of odds and ends to be sent to my room post-haste and spent the afternoon locked in ceaseless battle with the fundaments of magic. The trick was to achieve the maximum gain by the slightest means, to devastate a sensuous evening with a mental flick of the wrist, so to speak. Could I... compel a glass of wine to upend over Sibella's dress, for example, uh, thereby prompting her swift exit from proceedings? <laughs> the answer, it seemed, was no, for I could not budge it an inch. How about overcooking the dinner at a glance as, as soon as it was served? Nobody can agree to marriage on an empty or queasy stomach. But even after twenty minutes of furious concentration, I could barely brown a slice of bread. It was time for drastic action, I conceded grimly. So I tried to make it appear as though my face had erupted in horrendous boils. Well, that was bound to put her off. But no matter how hard I strained, I could barely produce a solitary zit. I couldn't believe it. Nothing worked. My family was littered with accomplished masters of the arcane Wujimadoo, and here was I, a harpy at the height of health, unable to cast the simplest spells. Oh, it, it made me mad. Furious. Raging, absolutely. Why, why, I was so incandescent and, and miffed, I, I could almost... And there it was. A flicker, just a flicker. But it was indeed fire, conjured by my very own will, a tiny spark of Promethean flame. My mind whirled with the possibilities I, I could set... A napkin, a light, or or a tablecloth, or or, or 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 perhaps set off the overhead sprinklers in the dining room. <laughs> I had it, I had it, I had it. I'd spirit up a whoosh of flame under a sprinkler and let thousands of pounds of combustion-quenching technology do its work. Instant panic, lots of... Dashing about, passion postponed, ardour averted. I'd say, never mind another time, and we'd part company on equitable terms with only the slight risk of a head cold to worry us. Gosh, Dudley, I said out loud. You're the goods when the chips are down and you can say that again. So I did, three times. I wanted to run down the corridors with joy, to do cartwheels through the foyer, to tell someone, anyone, like Jean, I could do magic and 
I was free! Best not. I thought best not. Keep it under your hat. The proof of the pudding's in the dining room, and I'd have to wait till seven o'clock to enact my master plan. So instead, I sat back with a paperback book, well, at least with that um, candy crush game on my Kindle, and gave my overheated brain a rest. A few hours later, and I was promenading through Marbury House in my dinner clothes, as calm and collected as an album of stamps. I made my merry way to the dining room, nabbing a flower from the reception desk to give to Sibella. I had to play the part and all that. No need to hurt the girl's feelings. There was a bounce in my step as I turned a corner and bounded into the dining room. Hmm. Now... I've never been known for my powers of perception, but I was nonetheless able to make three disquieting observations about that dining room. First, there were no chairs. Second, there were no tables. And third, there were no people. Aside from that, everything was going fine. Panicking, quietly, I sought out a waiter to ask what was going on. The answer turned me to stone, as sure as a quick wink from Medusa herself. It was a beautiful evening, they said. Why stay indoors, they said. Far better, they said, to serve dinner outside. So that's what they were doing. I reeled. I don't mind admitting it, I reeled. Outside? If there's one thing the outside doesn't have on a glorious evening, it's a fully functioning overhead sprinkler system. It's the first thing they teach you in hospitality, I'm told. I stepped into the evening air almost blindly, like a somnambulant in search of his cabinet. There was Sibella, sat patiently at a table near the swimming pool. My instinct to hide behind a flotilla of American tourists came too late, for Sibella had seen me and waved. Well, old boy, I said to myself, time to do the decent thing, which is whatever your grandmother tells you. And so, with a carefree smile that should have won me a BAFTA, I approached my future wife and took the opposite seat. The rapport was not immediate. I said hello... She concurred, and there the matter rested. It's fair to say we felt the weight of expectation, like mice upon the wheel of a juggernaut. But my spirit rallied upon the sight of Jean standing at the bar. He was leaning over to speak more clearly into the barmaid's ear, and I wished he were whispering sweet nothings into mine. Dash it all, I realised. The brain deserves to have its say, but can anyone truly ignore their heart and refuse to return its calls? Let alone a debonair and winged bon vivant like me. My scheme had been derailed, but I would not give up. By hook or by crook, this evening would end in disaster. Dudley, Sibella asked, are you all right? Oh, yes, Never better, my, uh, uh, 
sweet. I added, drawing upon every reserve of romance I possessed. How about a bottle of fizz? Within half an hour, we were tucking into our first course. I'd been buttering her up something fierce while steering the conversation away from any subject that even had a whiff of matrimonial bliss. It had been tough work being so nonchalant, and my hand reached out for the champagne. Gosh, I observed gaily, we drunk a bottle already. Yes, you have, haven't you? She replied in what was, in retrospect, an undertone. It was only then I realised that she'd barely touched her glass, whereas I'd been knocking the stuff back like tap water. Damn it, Dudley. My head was swimming. If I wasn't careful, I'd be in danger of doing something reckless, like proposing marriage. There was no more time to waste. I tried to use the power of my mind to destroy the romantic ambience. Spilling her glass, igniting her salad even setting off rude noises from an unknown province, but without a jot of joy. I'd begun perspiring visibly when Sibella said, You don't want to get married, do you? How did she know? What gave it away? She couldn't read my mind, could she? Yes, Dudley, she said. I can read your mind. Oh, corks. Don't want to get married, (laughs) I chortled. You've got me all wrong, old thing. When in doubt, brazen it out. She sighed. You've been doing everything within your power to ruin the evening, she observed correctly. Luckily, that isn't saying very much. Your powers are limited, unlike my own. But I'm offended all the same. Don't be upset, <laughs> Sibella, I stammered. It, 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 it's merely, it's merely uh, an, an apprehension. Uh, totally natural. Big steps, little feet, and, and, and so on. Sibella's manner changed very suddenly. There are certain individuals who do not suffer fools gladly, which is bad luck if you happen to be a fool in their vicinity. Sibella clearly subscribed to this philosophy. Look, Dudley, she said in a dangerous tone. Let's get one thing clear. I don't want to get married any more than you do. I choked. You don't? She gave me a stare so withering that I wondered if she'd taken lessons from my grandmother. You know what this is, she said. It's a marriage of convenience. You don't want it, I don't want it, but our families want it, and I'd do anything for family. Wouldn't you? My expression did the talking for me. Oh, don't look like that she said, her voice softening. I know we won't love each other, but we'll find a way to make things pleasant. Money does that. She consumed a small mouthful of pate before the killing blow. So let's get it over with, shall we? Go on. Ask me. I fiddled with my neckerchief desperately. I... I... Uh, I'm I'm getting round to it, I I, I promise. But Sibella fixed me with a stare that told me I should have been down on one knee immediately and uttering the magic words, how about it then? And I would have done so too, had it not been for a miracle, or rather, 
the sudden appearance of Jean Rouvray on my left-hand side. Excuse me, Mademoiselle Brun? he asked gallantly. She frowned. Yes, what is it? I am sorry to disturb you, Jean said, but I think you may be needed urgently. And then, before either of us could ask his meaning, the answer became all too clear. Sibella stared over my shoulder, her eyes widened, she put a hand to her mouth, and then she said with a note of rising horror, Daddy? There was her father, Sir Putney Brand, by the buffet table, and engaged in spirited conversation with a gaggle of youngsters, gesticulating fiercely with a glass that told its own story. The fellow, it seemed, was entirely soused. Blotto. As pickled as an evening bishop. In short, he was drunk. I'd wanted a distraction, and fate had pulled an absolute blinder. The young agitators kept needling away and provoking his wrath. Sir Putney puffed out his chest, lurched forward, and with a cry of, I think you'll find, he fell and demolished the buffet table. Sibella leapt to her feet with a cry, and I stared dumbly at her father, thrashing around in a mountain of quiche. His foes were gasping with laughter, but they'd written him off too early, for Sir Putney then grabbed at a handful of trifle and hurled it at the nearest vagabond, fetching him a creamy smack on the forehead. It was an incredible shot. Four of us applauded. But Sir Putney had drawn first blood, and his enemies would retaliate in kind. The air was thick with volivants. Breadsticks were used as javelins. Swept up in spontaneous gaiety, the other diners got in on the act, flicking spoonfuls of soup and fistfuls of caviar. I grinned at Jean and looked to Sibella. Weddings were far from her mind. I was free. But then I was struck rigid with horror as a new disaster unfolded. A young woman had picked up a custard pie and thrown it with zeal at their father-in-law. And they'd missed. The gooey projectile now arced through the air and its new target was Jean. It was as if time had slowed to a crawl. The very idea of Jean's Gallic good looks being sullied by custard and pastry, it was anathema. I couldn't stand it. I I wouldn't stand it, and before my brain caught up with itself, I was concentrating hard on the pie, or more accurately, the air through which it travelled. Could I impress my will upon it and adjust the direction of the pie so as to avoid the man I loved? For for in that moment I realised I did. The merest nudge would do the job, but had I the power... For Jean, for myself, was this the moment of truth? Was the mouse about to roar? Yes, yes, I I was doing it. It was turning ever so slightly. That pie was changing course. Jean was safe. I'd done it. I'd done it. Unfortunately, the pie did hit Sibella instead, and she fell into the pool. I don't mind telling you, I felt pretty guilty. The poor girl in no way deserved a face full of pastry, and I had been the cause of it. Now there she was in the deep end, and it was my duty to save her. 
I threw off my jacket, ignoring Jean's words of remonstrance, and dived into the pool. And then, a split second before I hit the water, I remembered two very important things. One, Sibella could swim, and two, I couldn't. And so I chose the only option available to me, and began to drown. As I submerged beneath the waves, I saw Sibella climbing out of the pool and audibly swearing off marriage for good. I felt someone plunging into the depths beside me, and then an, an arm was slipping around my waist. But it was too late. I was sure, and, and the water was somewhere above my head, and so it seemed to me that blacking out was the rational thing to do. Needless to say, I wasn't dead. I doubt I could have told my story if I had been, although I know that hasn't stopped some people from telling theirs. I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in ego. I awoke in my hotel room and found Jean sat nearby. Yes, it was he that had leapt to my rescue and hauled me from the maelstrom, and it turned out I owed him thanks for more than that besides. You see, the news of my betrothal had wound its way throughout the building days before I'd even arrived. I really had been the last to know about it. And suspecting my unhappiness, Jean had devised a scheme of his own. It ran along similar lines to mine, but whereas I had relied upon magic, he'd put his money on booze. The world would be a better place if more of us did the same. Knowing Sir Putney was a lightweight, Jean had slipped the barmaid a few fivers to give him double shots in his G&Ts. An affray was bound to follow, and a dinner date diverted. You're a genius, Jean, I exclaimed. The whole thing worked a charm. But how could you know I'd leap into the swimming pool? Well, the answer was he hadn't known, because that would have been ridiculous. But even this had played into our hands. He told me with a smile... For when he'd given me the kiss of life, and I responded with great enthusiasm, Sibella was left without a doubt of where my affections truly lay. Nor was she upset. In fact, she seemed relieved. No anguish and no wedding bells. The end was in sight. But what about my grandmother? What had she to say? A letter. Oh dear. Your ears are best protected if I don't divulge its contents. Strong men have been left as kittens by such words, but the gist was that I was to do nothing else tonight to further sully the clan Carmichael, for if I did, I'd be disinherited, cut off without a penny. I know what is best for you, Dudley, it said in black and white. Forget it at your peril. I sat in silence for a while, thinking, as you do, and then eventually I looked at John and asked, emphatically, how about it then? And that's how I gave it all up for the heart of a swimming instructor. We were married by the middle of the following week. 
Granny Winnie was incensed as you'd imagine, but there comes a time in a chap's life where he must stand up to his grandmother once and for all, or else go halfway around the world to avoid her. So, here we are. In Tahiti, and the martinis are fantastic. Ah, there he is. Jean! They're queuing up along the beach for him, you know. He gives the lessons while I sort the bookings. Turns out I'm rather good with money when I'm not spending it. Manager and husband all in one. And my backstroke has never been better. Oh, you must stay for dinner too. I'm a wizard in the kitchen. Scrambled eggs, beans on toast, you name it. Just whack them in the microwave and jobs are good'un. Hmm, yes. I may have said goodbye to wealth. But I found happiness at last. You see, that was the fortune I was talking about. Sort of a twist. <laughs> Reversal of expectation. Thought you'd like that. To love, old sport. To love. I may not know much about magic, but I know what I like. Cheers. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written by David K. Barnes and directed by Gabrielle Urbina, with script editing by Sarah Shackett and Gabrielle Urbina. It starred Leo Wan in the role of Dudley Carmichael. Original music by Alan Rohde, and additional songs by Bob Hart and the Stryker Big Band. Sound design by Zach Valenti, with additional editing by Gabrielle Urbina. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tanguay. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. Oh, hi there. Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask and some exciting news. First, Gabrielle, Sarah, and I created Unseen to bring a little magic to a world we felt could really use some. And we'd love your help spreading that magic as far as possible. Please visit share.unseen.show to sign up for a unique link for sharing your favorite episode of Unseen with people in your world. We'll be counting each and every share. And whoever are the top three refers by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard on March 31st, will receive exclusive Unseen merch. 
To learn more, head on over to share.unseen.show and sign up for your own unique link to your favorite episode. And we'll announce the top three exclusive merch winners at the end of our upcoming April Fool's special. One last time, that's share.unseen.show. Second, we have some exciting news. Do you love Unseen's original music? Well, our composer Alan Rohde has compiled the official original soundtrack for season one of Unseen, and it's available on our Bandcamp now. To go there, simply type in music.unseen.show in your web browser, and you'll be able to listen and download a copy of your own today. Once more, that's music.unseen.show for Unseen's original soundtrack. Lastly, if you haven't yet rated or reviewed the series wherever you listen, please consider lending your voice there. It really does help us reach more humans by proving to the machines we're worthy. All right, that's all for now. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll be back here April 1st with our April Fool's special. <laughs>